Uh, before we begin the message, uh, I have a church budget update, everyone's favorite subject, as I joked about last week. Um, so our so financial update, our 2023 budget for the church is about $500,000. Everything we do here, all of our programs, ministries, are funded through donations from all of us. And so we recognize, first of all, many of you have been giving regularly, generously, and for that, thank you, because everything that you donate helps make everything possible here at Sanctuary. So thank you again. We are coming to the end of the year, however, and we're running a deficit for the year, and it's about $40,000. That's about 8% of our annual budget. Uh, short term, we're fine. We have plenty of money in reserves to cover that deficit. However, we want to take the opportunity to invite folks for whom sanctuary may be your church home, but maybe giving is not yet part of your participation here, and we want to invite you to consider giving. That will do two things. One, it will help us reach our uh, budgeted goal of $500,000 for this year, but it also will help us determine how we think about next year's budget. So we are starting now the budgeting process for next year, and we want to make sure we can fund all of our ministers and programs and fund them well. So we're hoping to have to you know, close the gap on our deficit for this year, looking ahead to 2024, what can we do? Well, how can we make that budget that we want it to be? So again, if you've not given to Sanctuary this year, would you consider doing so? Help us meet our budget goal for the year. Thank you. Hope that was painless. <laughs> All right, let me ask for a show of hands. Um, how many folks had more than one Thanksgiving celebration? Anyone have more than one Thanksgiving celebration? Oh, yeah, good. Okay, that's maybe a third of the room. Yeah, good. Anyone have more than two Thanksgiving celebrations? Thanksgiving superstars. Hello. Look at that. Okay, how many? Three? Three, okay. Three back there, yeah. Anyone four? Okay, three's our winner. Well done. Yay. Um, I'm all for this. Feasting. More holiday feasting for sure. I think this is maybe more common at Christmas, where we have multiple Christmases, right, with family, maybe with friends, and then extended family. Maybe there's a holiday office party, Christmas party, whatever. More feasting. Hashtag more feasting. So this morning, we're going to look at a feast story from the Bible that's so good, it happens twice. It's a great feast. Repetition is really common in the Bible. It's kind of like God is, is a parent. And like any parent, God keeps saying the same thing over and over. The kids will not listen. How come the kids will just not listen? You start to wonder, is it the parenting? Hmm. Um, here's some examples in the Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy, it's in the name, as they say. So it means second word or second law. And Deuteronomy is a repeat. A lot of the content is a repeat of what you find in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And it just repeats with some, some changes. Then we have the prophets who on literally every page <laughs> just keep saying, do justice, do justice, do justice. That's all they're saying over and over. Uh, the Old Testament history books, Chronicles repeats what's in Samuel and Kings. And finally, another example is the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament all are the story of Jesus' life. And they repeat many of the same material, many of the same events and stories. 
And within them, we even get some repeated events and situations. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're actually going to look at the same story that was used last Sunday in Chris Hakotubi's message, the feeding of thousands of people with a few loaves of bread. I'm not going to repeat Chris's amazing teaching, which I would recommend everyone listen to if you did not get to hear that last week. It's on our podcast. It's on our website. Um, He titled it, It's an Indigenous Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown. Chris is a member of the Choctaw Nation, and he talked about both the grief and the gratitude related to the Thanksgiving holiday in relationship to the history of indigenous peoples in the United States. So really, really profound message, um, and I learned a lot, so do yourself a favor, go listen to that if you missed it. Okay, so the story, though, that Chris used was Jesus's feeding of thousands of people, multitudes of people, with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. And that story happens, in, happens twice. It, the feast is so good, Jesus does it again. And so in Matthew and Mark, in both those versions, Jesus feeds thousands of people two times. So altogether, in Luke and John, it's only one time. So in the four Gospels, there are six times where Jesus feeds thousands of people with a few loaves of bread. So we're going to explore a couple things as we read this. Number one, why does Jesus do the miracle again? Why is that significant? And number two, what are the life lessons that we can think about on our own from repeated life events and situations? We all find ourselves from time to time saying things like, this just happened to me, or here I am again, or why is this going on again in life? And the question for us is to stop and ask, what's happening there? What are the lessons? What's God doing in the midst of this repeated situation or life event? Let me give a quick example, okay, before we dive in. So, I have two teenage boys right now, and we have a curfew for them on school nights. And one of them, a few weeks ago, stayed out past curfew on school night. Da, da, da. So my wife, Allie, and I noticed this, and we had a gentle reminder kind of conversation with our teenage boy, one of them. I will not tell you which one. No guessing. Um, And, you know, not a big deal. It happens one time, okay? So we just, you know, gentle reminder conversation. What happened? Okay. Well, a week later, it happens again. Okay, now we have a repeated life experience. Ding, ding, ding. Something should signal to me that if we don't change something, what's going to happen? The same thing, okay? So if we don't change something in here in the internal system, we can expect the same output to happen over and over again. And so we have to then go back and address what's happening here in our relationship and our parenting system or structure that we might need to adjust in order to not have this happen again. All right? So that's what I'm talking about, and we'll come back to that example towards the end. So that's the, so you hear what I'm saying. We're, we're finding ourselves in repeated life experiences, so we're going to look at this story from Jesus and his disciples, this repeated experience, and we'll then, you know, think about our own lives today. So here we go, Mark chapter 8. Let's pick up the story. In those days, when there was again a great crowd, there it is, 
from Mark. This just happened, guys. Here it is again. Uh, A great crowd without anything to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? This is an amazing question because, mind you, they just saw it happen. (laughs) Oh, boy. He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Yay, leftovers. (laughs) Now there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. So Jesus, again, providing this miraculous feast for 4,000 people using seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Everyone eats. There's leftovers. Amazing. The story on its own highlights, again, God's abundance and liberation. Somehow God has provided for everyone everything they need, and they are satisfied And it happens in the wilderness, in a solitary place outside of human civilization. There's only a very small amount of human contribution, human resourcefulness that goes into this. The bread, the little bit of fish that someone caught. And God, Jesus, takes that little bit and makes abundance where there is scarcity. It's a beautiful story. Now, with it being the second time, it's a little funny to watch the disciples go, wait, how can you do this? Uh, Tom once referred to the disciples as interns, so let's take that and run with it. (laughs) Jesus' interns, thank you, Tom. Uh, You know, they are confused. Like, it's work day two, and the process that they just saw on day one, they've somehow forgotten. So let's do a little compare and contrast. In their defense, there are some differences. So let's work these through. So in the first version, which is in Mark chapter 6, feeding 5,000, then we got feeding 4,000, so it's in the number there a little bit. Except that in the first version, it's, it's identified as 5,000 men specifically, so it's maybe 20,000 people. It's a huge number, so it does not count the women and children. In the second story, it's identified as 4,000 people. So that's the total number of people. I don't know who counted. Let's just say someone counted. All right, feeding 5,000, the first version, there are five loaves and two fish. In the second story, there are seven loaves and a few fish. Twelve baskets of leftovers in the first story, and then seven baskets of leftovers in the second. So the math is a little fuzzy about how this gets worked out, but the basic framework's still there, you know? So it's like, what's happening? Why are the disciples not getting this? Well, here's the crucial detail, where the story takes place. Here's the location. In the first version, it's a Jewish area. In the second version, it's a Gentile area. 
Let's go to the map. Here's the first story in Galilee. So Galilee is majority Jewish area. It's where Jesus was from. There's Nazareth down there. Uh, the sea, so it's the northwest corner or quadrant of the Sea of Galilee. That's where the first story takes place, Jewish area. Second story happens in the Decapolis. It's in the name again. The city or ten, the region of 10 cities, Deca 10, Polis City, largely Greek speaking area of Gentiles. Okay. So by the way, the word for baskets in both stories is different is a different Greek word. In the first story, the basket is about the size of a grocery bag. In the second story, the word for basket designates like a kitchen trash bin. So much, much bigger basket. And they think it's because the common basket used in the Jewish area was slightly smaller. The one in the Gentile area was a much bigger basket. So seven baskets and then 12 baskets full of the leftovers, if you're keeping track, which I am. Okay. So the big difference in the story is who is eating? Who's invited? In the first, it's Jesus' own people, the disciples' own people. It's Jews, Jewish people. And he feeds them five loaves of bread, which is significant because there are the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. There are 12 baskets of leftovers for the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, and then the 12 disciples. Yay, we get this. And in the gentle area, he uses seven loaves, and seven being, I don't know, a number more universally associated with perfection and wholeness. Maybe it's who's eating that prevents the disciples from being able to recognize Jesus' ability to perform a miracle. They know Jesus can feed multitudes, but can he feed Gentile multitudes? Hmm. How transferable is this miracle-working skill? Does it apply for everyone? Look at the way they ask the question in the story. So this is from the story we just read. Jesus says, I have compassion. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people here in the desert? Hmm, these people, those people. This is the disciples airing some of their prejudice. They are saying aloud the quiet part. Saying aloud, eh, I'm not so sure it applies here. Does God's abundance and liberation come for these people too? This is classic, right? There's us and there's them. Those people, whoever we call them. Them, those people, these people. Jesus decides, yes, in fact, God's abundance and liberation is for them too. And he confounds the disciples once again. This is a big lesson in uh, all of the Bible. God or Jesus breaks the human constructed boundaries between people to bring good things to everyone. And it's often the least expected that are included and become part of the center of the story where God's good stuff happens. And unfortunately, this is a lesson that humanity continues to neglect. We see this all over the place, right? This us versus them dichotomy. Uh, We see it in our politics, of course. 
We see it in our economics. We see it in our housing policies and schools and workplaces. It's in our churches. We can see this kind of toxic rhetoric happen in the conversations, that might be really generous a term, around immigration, where immigrants are often labeled as the them. And we're going to see, you know, 2024 is coming. It's an election year. Mm, it's going to get really ugly. And we know it. We kind of brace ourselves for that awful, awful rhetoric that happens because it feeds into this sense that there is an us, a true American, and then there's a them, whoever they are, those people. I'm sure there are constructive ways to talk about immigration policy, right? I'm not sure I've ever seen them uh, in our national political discourse, sadly. This can get really extreme, really extreme. Like we see it happening now in the war in Israel and Gaza. Some of the rhetoric we see is really, really toxic including from politicians and influential people. Like, here's a quote from the Israeli defense minister who said, we are fighting against human animals. And he said this not in relationship to Hamas, the organization that committed the atrocities on October 7th. He was saying that in reference to all of Gaza, labeling every Palestinian as an animal. Now, in fairness, Hamas would say the exact same thing about all Israeli citizens and maybe all Jewish people worldwide and call them less than human. And what happens when our rhetoric turns like this? When we think of people as less than human, then we can start to justify and rationalize any kind of violence, behaviors we would not tolerate otherwise because they are less than human. And these are extreme examples, but we can see it kind of creep into, right, a lot of the ways we organize our lives and social structure. And it's a big lesson about who is invited, for whom are God's gifts of abundance and liberation. And the story here that Jesus brings to disciples, this big lesson, it's for them too, yes. I've brought liberation and abundance for them too. We all share in it. Okay, so let's then turn to think about for us today. When we ourselves find we are facing a similar situation or repeated life event, and that can be a clue for us to stop and reflect and ask ourselves, what's the lesson? What is God bringing in my life? How can I learn something new from God? So I started the example with uh, curfew and this repeated event. And what's the lesson? Well, I wasn't so sure, but my wife and I, the way we handled it, we had a longer conversation than with our teenager, and we asked him a lot of questions. We also named for him the underlying values, what was contributing to our decision to set a curfew in the first place, and why, that, why we felt like that mattered. It turned out that he did not share all of our values associated with the curfew. <laughs> but it was really, really fruitful as we got him to talk because he was able to articulate the values that he did have, 
many of which were overlapping with ours. We shared a lot. And that was really useful, because then we could talk about, okay, so we have these shared values here. What could we agree on together? And then we arrived at a different curfew. We changed the time. But we still have a curfew we feel good about, but we're able to hear and integrate his values into the decision. And more importantly, most importantly is, he now owns it. He owns the decision that we have set together. So we'll see how it works. Wish us luck. <laughs> but again, that was the lesson for us. It's like, oh, like listening to our teenager can be useful. I know that sounds basic. <laughs> but that was a really helpful lesson. That was a gift God was bringing me. Ask questions. Listen to your teen. They're actually, they have some good rationale, good things to say. So yay. All right, another example. I'm in a grad school program right now, and each class that we have, there is a group project. <laughs> wah, wah. What's the problem with group projects? <clears throat> right, right. Not, not everyone contributes equally the way you would hope <laughs> that they would contribute. And so I figured out, though, like, this is part of the overall values of the school and the program that I'm in, group projects. And so I have to get used to this and have to figure out what's the lesson for me here and how do I go into these in a way that I can help the process and incentivize everyone to contribute. So again, wish me luck. Don't know how I'm going to do this. But I've, I've already labeled this a repeated experience. So that's half the goal or half, half the battle is just saying, oh, this is a repeated experience. What's the lesson? What's happening here? Just to be able to stop and say it and identify that, huge, crucial. So I'm going to be paying attention to this as my classes go. Now, this, the group project thing is a big, big part of life. It happens in our households, right? Household chores, in essence, are a big group project. And sometimes you might notice not everyone's carrying the load in the way that you might wish they were carrying. And what do you do with that? Is there a lesson? Now, you can choose to just pick up the slack and make it work, and then maybe you get resentful <laughs> like I do sometimes, or maybe it's fine, you know? Like, but we can expect if the same thing happens over and over and we just pick up the slack, what's going to happen? The same thing is just going to keep happening and repeating itself. So unless we want to receive a lesson or change something or address something, then it's going to be the same thing. This happens in work, of course. We have group projects at work. And sometimes we might just want them to succeed so badly that we'll just pick up the slack. And then our coworker, they learn a really good lesson. I don't have to contribute as much, and it still is great. Because all the rest of us, our names are still on this group project. Ah! The invitation again. There's a lesson here. What is it? Do I, you know, how will I pay attention to it? What's the lesson from God in this situation? One final example. I saw a TikTok the other day. <clears throat> I learned so much on TikTok. It's, it's a valuable resource for me. So this uh, TikToker was talking about, they do a lot of financial literacy TikToks, okay? So this particular TikTok was about credit card debt and consumer debt. And it was really, really great. I really appreciated their approach because the tone with which they approached it was very non-shaming, very non-judgmental, not like telling people they're wrong or bad or something. 
But they were very sympathetically naming all of the good reasons why people might sustain credit card debt and get into debt in the first place and have high uh, credit card debt. Uh, and again, it wasn't shaming. It was just kind of talking through, like, okay, here's, here's kind of what can happen. Um, there are things that happen outside of a person's control. There may be some things within the person's control, but, you know, how does this all go into it? Then it switched, the TikTok. They were talking then about offering some strategies and tips and help for people who might want to change that. And it was asking all the same questions that, uh, you know, we've been asking this morning, like, what's the lesson? What's the invitation for change? And if we don't change anything, we don't address anything, then we can expect the same thing to happen, the same repeated pattern over and over. But there could be a really valuable, empowering lesson if we're willing to take a moment to reflect and hear what it is. This is the lesson for Jesus' interns. And for us, Jesus' interns, for us today, we find ourselves in repeated life events and situations, and it's an opportunity to learn from God. God's abundance, God's liberation in this story, but in many, many life situations, God is there offering us God's presence, God's blessings, and especially when we find ourselves in that repeated situation, we can ask ourselves, what is the new thing? What would it look like to step into something new to change the outcome and find that lesson from God, this lesson of redemption and liberation? Amen. I want to take a moment to bring this uh, in prayer before God. So please join me. And we're going to take a moment just to see if we can name some life situations or experiences that we find ourselves in that might be repeated. And we'll ask God for help and discernment and finding the lesson. Okay, so let's pray. Well, God, we bring uh, before you our, uh, our own lives. We see in this story this repeated pattern and your invitation to the disciples to get a lesson, to experience you in a new way. And we'd ask that you'd help us do the same even now. Help us to see what are patterns or things we find ourselves in again and again? Would you help us to name those even now?